Yeah, I'll echo what Charlie says. It's great to hear the cries of little children. It definitely beats the cries of adults. Now, I'm sure that just about everybody in here has experienced this. You know, the great American road trip when you're driving with the family from, you know, driving hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles. And at some point you realize, I need gas, I need food, I just need a break. So you get off the interstate, maybe in a city, and you look around, there's an awful lot of bail bonds and check cashing places here. And why is the newspaper stand encased in concrete and rebar, bars on all the windows. Whoa, we're in that kind of neighborhood. And as you're driving, you see people looking at you and you realize you're in the wrong neighborhood. All right, Lindsay and I are really good at doing this. I mean, it's, I, it, you know, Nashville, Atlanta, doesn't really matter. We will, tr- it almost feels like we are getting off the highway in the worst neighborhoods we can possibly find. I don't know if that's because we're from St. Louis and used to it or what. But, uh, you know, we just get off, get off the highway looking for lunch like, oh, uh, wow. You stick out. You're nervous. This isn't your home. Others can tell just by looking And it's not just the plates on your car that show you are not from here. Some people will welcome you. Hey, your money spends as well as anybody else's. Good to have you. Most people won't care. But then you have a few and they smell easy prey. Yeah, you don't belong. Everybody knows it. You know that feeling. We don't often have it necessarily around here. You know, we're here in middle America in St. Charles County. Most of us look the same. We're not really used to getting that feel day in, day out. But you know what it feels like. And if you can kind of capture that feeling in your mind, this is the same feeling that was had by Jewish Christians in the larger Roman Empire back in the days of the New Testament. These Jewish Christians, they had a couple different reasons for feeling misplaced, like they were in the wrong place. Because the Roman Empire at large was not the traditional home for the Jews. You know, their their home is Israel. Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, all of that. But here they're scattered to the winds. Living in places where people don't look like them, don't have the same traditions as them. They're a small and marginalized ethnic minority, and their ways seem strange to their neighbors. But on top of that, these Jewish Christians, they have chosen to follow Christ. They've accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and that has largely cut them off from their larger support systems. You know, any time you've got a group of people living as a minority in a larger area, they will have their own community. Their own restaurants, that type of thing. You know, San Francisco has Chinatown. You know, you know, every city will have, you know, kind of its own little ethnic communities. But these Jewish Christians, rather than belonging to those, they'd been cut off. They've accepted Jesus. They're viewed as, well, they came from us, but they're not really us anymore. They're no more at home in Rome 
than they used to be. But they're also not accepted by their former family and friends. They really feel adrift. And at the same time, persecution in the Roman Empire is ramping up. They're under suspicion, both for the Jewish heritage and for their Christian beliefs. The Jews already were viewed kind of a little weird by most of the Romans. But then, they're not just Jews. They're part of this new Christian sect. And those people are really kind of weird. They don't do things like us. They don't recognize the emperor as God. You know, they're, they're poor. How poor are they? They're so poor they only have one God, you know, as Mel Brooks said. They really don't belong. And everybody around them knows it. And Peter writes to these, he calls them exiles. He points out to them, this lack of belonging is no surprise. Yeah, you feel like you're in the wrong neighborhood. You feel like you don't belong. Well, hey, in Christ, friends, we truly do not belong. This world may be our current location. It is not our home. And we might feel like, well, you know, earth is a pretty neat place. I mean, all our stuff is there. And it's a nice world. It's a beautiful place at times. Sometimes absolute paradise. Sometimes magnificent desolation. And in it, I look around. I see a lot of citizens of the United States of America here. We got birth certificates to prove. I mean, I've been trying to renew my driver's license. I've learned you wait to do that until after school starts. I mean, the place is overrun with teenagers right now. But I've got one of those real ID things, and you know what? You, you almost you, you need like passport, bank statements with your address on it, blood sample, the Holy Grail, you know, all of that in order to get it renewed to show I belong here. But you know what? I'll go through all that. This still ain't my home. I may have been born here, I may have lived my life here. This still isn't really where I belong. As a Christian, we are all headed for for an eternal destination in heaven. Until we get there, we're going to feel displaced. You look around, you see the news, you see what's going on. You're like, this world has gone crazy. Guess what? That's normal for a Christian. We don't belong here. And because we don't belong, we are going to have a rough time. The ways we have adopted as we follow Christ, they are not the ways of the world. The world looks at us. We are seen as strange and bizarre. We may be reviled. We may be persecuted because we aren't from here. And if you keep that in your mind, it'll be easy for you to understand 1 Peter, even 2 Peter too. 2 Peter will be next week. This week's 1 Peter. And First Peter, as he writes, it really kind of sounds like that phrase, he's writing to strangers in a strange land, people who don't belong. And to these people, Peter will explain how we are to live. That is a constant drumbeat in the New Testament. Whenever we are told something, 
It always has attached to it. Here's what we're to do. You know, that great question we may ask sometimes when we might ask it as a sarcastic, disaffected teenager. So what? You're going to do that? So what? You're going to tell me all this, teacher? So what? Pythagorean theorem? So what? How does this affect me? Well, Peter, as he writes his books, Peter answers that question, so what? We don't belong here? So what? He says, so what is we live this way? We don't live recklessly believing it won't follow us home. You know, that ad, that ad campaign from Las Vegas, I know you've, you've heard the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Any of you ever seen a show of cops where they're in Vegas? You learn that's a lie. Oh, what happens in Vegas may not stay in Vegas. Yeah, you thought it stayed in Vegas. Now you got a felony to follow you home. No, as Christians, we don't just do whatever because what happens on earth stays on earth. No, we continue to follow Christ. Peter is writing to Christians who feel like they don't belong because truly they don't. But he says it doesn't matter. You still serve Christ in this fallen world. We look around ourselves. We say this world has just gone to pot with sin and everything else. And Peter tells us, follow Jesus anyway. Yeah, the world is troubled and fallen and covered in sin, but it doesn't matter. We are still called to be like Jesus. And as he opens this letter, he points out we are to be holy, that we have been saved to be righteous, that we belong to God. We should not bring reproach to the name of Jesus. And he really sums it up in chapter 2, or just a couple of verses kind of ties that together, where he writes this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says to us, kind of summing up the first half of this letter, we are to live like Christ. No, we don't belong here. No, this world isn't normal for us, but we're to live like Christ anyway. He characterizes us as sojourners and exiles. People are from people from someplace else. Sometimes you find those places where people are from someplace else, where nobody is from there. You know, here in St. Louis, people tend to be from here, but we go elsewhere. I I, I like what the uh, uh, Bill McClellan used to write for the Post-Dispatch said, you know, we, you know, St. Louis, our biggest monument is the people who have left town. You know that giant croquet hoop down there on the Mississippi River? Yeah, that's not for people who stayed. That is the gateway to the West. It is for people who left. And when I watch the baseball game, I always laugh because I see commercials on how great it is to live in St. Louis. And who is, who is in this ad? People who don't live here now. I mean, celebrities who have left St. Louis. Where do they live? L.A. Is St. Louis awesome? They're like, oh, St. Louis is so good. Like, how many of you live here? None. Yeah, that is St. Louis in a nutshell. But, you know, sometimes you may go to places like Florida or California where people are from someplace else. 
And that's kind of how Peter is addressing Christians. He, it meant one thing to Jews that are scattered throughout the empire, that, hey, you're from someplace else. This isn't your home. You've got another land. That's your homeland. You're just kind of here now. That meant one thing to Jews spread throughout Rome, but it meant it had a whole new meaning to Christians. Because as Christians, friends, we are looking for something else. As the author of Hebrews puts it, as he's talking about the the faith chapter of the Bible, about how people by faith, by faith, by faith in chapter 11, then sums it up by saying, all these people were looking for a better place. We might be used to being here. There might be some things we like about here. But this world, friends, is not our home. Hey, I'm not saying this world is completely, totally, and utterly without any good things. I like to sit on the beach and just watch the surf roll in. Some of you are mountain-type people. Any of you mountain people for vacation? You know, I've noticed there's beach people and mountain people. Yeah, I see a few hands from you mountain people. Hey, mountains are beautiful. Let's hear it from you beach folks. <laughs> yeah. Just like to sit there and watch the water, maybe see some ships go by. That's me. There's some glorious places in this world. There's some things about this world that are great. I, you know, I got a, I, we've got friends. We've got family. There, there's some nice times to be had. But this isn't our home. No, we are looking forward to heaven. We are not belonging to a fallen world or to a human nation. Friends, we belong to a heavenly kingdom. What we are looking forward to, the place where we truly belong, is not here. It is with God. It's not found on a map. You won't see it in a telescope, but it exists. And that's where we belong. So Peter then says, well, so what? You know, that question comes up, so what? Okay, we belong to heaven, so what? He says, keep your conduct proper. Behave yourself. We cannot just decide, well, nobody knows us here. What happens on earth stays on earth. I don't have to worry about it. He says, no, we, are going, we belong to heaven. We should act like we belong to heaven. That God sees our actions. He will hold us accountable. And those around us will see how we are. If and when they denounce us, they will still have to admit we serve the Most High God. Oh, you're not from here? You're one of them Christians, aren't you? Which means you belong to Jesus. You do that Jesus stuff, don't you? You love your neighbor as yourself? What Peter's kind of pointing out here is, look, we can, how we act can influence people for or against God. You know, how we act can draw people to him or push them away from him. He kind of mentions, you know, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, which is kind of the long way around of putting, they, we can draw people to God so they can believe in him. 
just by how we act. The first part of 1 Peter underscores this point. We are not at home. We are surrounded by strangers, many of whom will not like us. We may not be happy with our circumstances, but we are still to live out the commands of Christ. Whether people listen to us, whether they see us doing this and say, hey, maybe there's something to this Jesus stuff, or maybe they see us do it and say, huh, you silly, stupid Christian. You know, whatever, however they, whatever they, however they respond, it doesn't matter because we are to follow Jesus. It is not possible to serve God by ignoring his commands, friends. We cannot say, Oh, I belong to God, I follow Jesus, and then ignore what he says. We have a standing command to obey him. Don't live in an unrestrained manner. Be self-controlled, be honorable. Do what God wants you to do, even though you might not want to do it. Sometimes people be like, Phil, what's it like you know, being a preacher? And I'm like, well, I get up there every Sunday and I tell people to do things they don't want to do. <sighs> like, what do you mean? I want to follow Jesus. Like, well, yeah, we like the idea of following Jesus. We might not like the reality of following Jesus. It's like we like the idea of losing weight. We just don't like the reality. And you know, when faced with steak or salad, you know, cook the cow and bring it to me. We like the idea of following Jesus, but when, it, when we're in the middle of things, well, I may not want to love my neighbor as myself. I may not want to give up my preferences so somebody else can come to him. We say we want it, but in reality, we don't always. It's not easy to do. That's why I think we're told to do it so often, because uh, you don't have to get told to do what you want to do. If you went downstairs to the children's worship right now, and you brought a tub of ice cream with you, and you set it down with a bunch of spoons, you will not have to tell the children more than once to eat it. You may not have to tell them at all. They will figure it out. You will have to tell them a lot to leave it alone. Why? It's counter to what they want. Why does God tell us so many times to follow Jesus? To do what he says? Because it runs counter to what we want. We are going against the nature that we have had since our birth to follow Jesus. Yes, he puts a new one in us, and it will, as Paul points out in Romans, it will constantly fight with us. But at home, whether we are in our homes or out in the world, whatever we find ourselves doing, we are to reflect Jesus in our words and in our deeds. No, we are not from here. No, this is not our home. But we are still supposed to do what, what he says. But living like Christ isn't just following his commands because things are going to take a turn for the worse. If we live like Jesus, we're going to pay a price. Jesus was clear about this with his disciples. The world hated him. He says, the world hates me, it's going to hate you. And Peter was there when he said it and he remembered it. And he warns us about this in chapter 4. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Friends, there's going to be suffering. We imitate Christ there too. We don't just live like Christ, we suffer like Christ. Peter says when we suffer for Christ, don't be surprised. Sometimes people get surprised at silly things. Any of you growing up, you know, have the hose out in the summer and you're doing something and, you know, you got your sibling there and you get an idea and you kind of pick up the hose where they can't see it and you kink the hose and it quits flowing and your sibling's like, hey, quit. And you're like, look into it, see what happens. Any of you ever do that? I see a lot of people who are lying in church. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, because you know what happened? Right in the kisser. Should they have been surprised? No. Were they surprised? Yes. We're not from here. We don't belong here. We belong to Jesus. We belong to heaven. So the world sees us. It knows we are different. And it takes aim at us. And sometimes we get surprised. Friends, we've had a very fortunate time here in this land. We can get the idea that a place where we can serve Christ without retribution, a place that is founded ultimately upon Christian principles, a place where there is really no social price to pay for following Christ, we get the idea that that's normal. And so we're surprised when this world changes. Friends, historically, this is an aberration. And some people might say, wait, but you know, all these kings through the Middle Ages, you know, for hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, you know, Christianity has been the rule of the West. Well, that might have been what it looked like, but if you actually look at what happened, many of these leaders, these powerful people, they would use Christianity not as a guide for their life, but as a cloak for their evil actions. And those who actually tried to follow Jesus would suffer. Down through the years, friends, a lot of martyrs of the church were killed by people who ostensibly were part of the church. Friends, if you follow Christ, you're going to suffer for him, sometimes even at the hands of those who claim Jesus but do not follow him. If you follow Jesus, if you are in the church for any length of time at all, you are going to have scars upon your heart put there by people in the same pew. And you're like, how can that happen? 
because Satan's good at his job. Because it's very easy to wear a cross or put the Joy FM sticker on your car, things like that, to show up at church and never actually be shaped and molded by Jesus. And every time it is a tragedy and every time it beats us down, wears us and grinds us into powder. And the real tragedy is when people see that and they think this is what following Jesus is like and they leave him. And that's sad. Because they are destroyed not by the real thing but by the imposter. Like I said, friends, Satan is good at his job. He takes the things of God and will twist them and pervert them and use them to destroy. How do you know it's the things of God and not the things of Satan? Look at the fruit. Is it building up or is it destroying? But Peter says, instead of being shocked that all this is going on, instead of being surprised that we suffer for following him, rejoice because you have been recognized as belonging to Christ. It's been said you can judge a person by his enemies. Sometimes you'll see somebody and they'll get really worked up about something. They'll be foaming at the mouth, you know, writing a whole manifestos about something. And you see them doing it and you realize, you know, this tells me a lot more about that wackadoodle than it does about what they're fighting. You ever see that type of thing? You're like, okay, dude, you like need counseling. You know, go outside, touch some grass or something, you know, just relax. Because I'm learning a lot about you and really nothing about what you're mad at. And when the world attacks us, that's kind of what Peter's pointing out. That the world will come after us, but that's telling us not that we're out of place. It's telling us that we have the right enemies. Because if the world looks at us and says, hey, you don't belong here. You belong to Jesus. So we're going to have it out with you. Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? To know that we have been rejected by the forces of Satan and found wanting because we belong to the Lord. That's why Peter says rejoice. Not because it's fun, not because it's enjoyable, but because it shows us what side we are on. It's a fantastic testimony. Remember, this is being written by a man who was there when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, who got told, Peter, put that sword away, you're going to hurt yourself. It's written by the man that after the resurrection, Jesus said, Peter, one of these days, someone is going to bind your hands and lead you where you don't want to go. This is a guy who knows what it's like to suffer for Christ. He's been beaten. He's been jailed. He will be executed for it. One day, he is going to be taken by the Romans, and they are going to say, we are going to crucify you, and Peter's going to say, I do not deserve to be crucified like my Lord. Put me upside down. No, it's not fun to suffer, but suffering means future glory. It means we're on the right side so we can still rejoice. But he does say not every last bit of suffering is rewarded. He says, you know, we're supposed to behave ourselves. Not say, well, if I'm going to suffer anyway, I'm going to give them something to cry about. 
If I'm going to suffer anyway, I'm going to earn it. He says, don't suffer like a murderer, like a thief, like somebody that's getting into trouble. No, if you're going to suffer, you make sure that you are suffering for following Christ. Because there's no glory in deserving it. You know, like that grand old Texas legal theory, dude had it coming. No, if we suffer, we need to make sure it's the right reason. But he says, you think this is bad, what's it going to be like on that day? If the righteous is scarcely saved... And I just imagine Peter's thinking back to when Jesus was teaching them, and he said, you know, the rich man, rich guys, they can, they can only be saved like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And to, to try to explain that away, we've come up with different theories, like, oh, there was this little doorway in the back of Jerusalem where the camel had to kneel. No, Jesus is not talking about that. He is using that to kind of make a humorous point. He's talking about a sewing needle with a hole. How do you get a camel through that? You end up with camel spaghetti. And we focus in on that, and we try to handle it, and we forget that's not the point of that passage. The point of the passage is a couple verses later where everybody's like, oh, who can then be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Friends, our salvation was hard. We couldn't do it. It was humanly impossible for us to be saved. Why? We're sinners. Death is what we deserve. What it took to save us, God had to order all of human history to bring forth his son. And then his son had to live a perfect life under the law. And then he had to die unjustly with his blood poured out as a sacrifice for our sins. None of that was easy. None of us can do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. All of us working together cannot do that. It took the effort of a righteous, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God to pull it off. So when he says the righteous is scarcely saved, folks, it took the life of the Son of God to save us. That qualifies as scarcely saved. We're saved but only because of what he did. If that's what it took to save those that belong to him, what is going to happen on that day of judgment for the ungodly, the sinner, those who have rejected him? Oh, that's a frightening thought, isn't it? If you think suffering in the here and now is bad, well, it is. It's not fun. It's excruciating. It will drive us straight to our breaking point. But you know what? On that day of judgment, when the sky is rolled back as a scroll, when Jesus descends on the clouds of heaven, when we are called to be with him on that day, those who belong to him, Christians, we have suffered all we will ever suffer forevermore, period, forever. Amen. There will be no suffering. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Every sorrow will be in the past. That's even hard to think about, isn't it? 
It's hard for us to think about because that's not the life we live. We're always waiting. What's life going to do next? One morning when Lindsay and I were getting ready to get off a cruise ship, we were sitting at a breakfast table, and at the next table over, there was this poor teenage girl who I guess had broken up with her boyfriend. I kind of felt for the girl because I know teenage heartbreaks, all that, but she's sitting there really weepily saying, nobody has ever hurt the way I hurt. We had to really control ourselves because we just wanted to bust up laughing. It's like, sweetie, you think you hurt now? You haven't even felt the beginning of it. You know, I felt bad for her. I know what that's like, but I also know that is nothing. She has so much more worse stuff to look forward to. That is life for us, isn't it? We spend our lives waiting for bad things to happen. We buy insurance policies. Why? Because bad things happen. This weekend, my mother was telling us about, you know, the uh, Jennings Cemetery, how they had a sign out front that said, better to not need than to need and not have, referring to a burial plot. I always thought, I, I thought a better sign would be, see you later, you know. Folks, we spend our lives waiting for bad things to happen. We lose our loved ones bit by bit. Our grandparents, our parents, our spouses, our, ourselves, sometimes our children. We lose all of that. That is life, suffering upon suffering. But on that day, there will be no more. But for those who do not belong to Christ, for those who have rejected them, for, for those who have said, you know, Jesus, you might be fine, but I got this. I don't need this. Friends, on that day, every single joy, every single good thing they have ever known will be in the past. There will no longer be any smiles, any laughter. And I am not exaggerating. Forevermore, it will be suffering and pain. That ought to scare us a little. Because that's going to be the big difference. Where do we stand? Are we in Christ or are we not? Yes, in Christ, in the here and now, we may suffer It's a guarantee, but we're still to serve Christ because our God is faithful. He's not going to abandon us in our trouble. We still look forward to hope, to heaven. Friends, you can tell we don't belong here. Any of you, the real popular folks in school, I'm sure somebody in here was super popular. Chuck, were you the popular person? No. No, I wasn't popular either. I know that's hard to believe. Somebody looks this good with this type of humor, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, you'd think I was having to refuse dates all the time, but no. No, it was not like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was not my life. 
you ever feel like you don't belong? It's because you don't. It's because you belong somewhere, but that somewhere's not here. It's because you're looking forward to something that's to come. You know what's going to get here. You know you're going to get there. But not yet. We are out of step with this world. We know it. They know it. There's going to be friction. As we follow Jesus, we're going to stick out more and more. And the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. But even so, we continue to serve Christ. We do so knowing that God is going to receive us, that Jesus will claim us, that we will find eternal rewards for the discomfort that we have now. That, friends, when we serve Jesus, it will be worth it. It will not be easy. You're going to question if it's worth it. But it will be worth it. We do as he commanded. We follow his example in all things. We look forward to his presence Forevermore, friends, we might be in the wrong neighborhood now, but we're headed home. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you for you have set aside a home for us. You're preparing us and preparing it for us even now and preparing us for that home. Lord, help us. You know this world isn't easy. You know there is sorrow upon sorrow. But Lord, we look forward to that day of joy. We trust you, and we pray that you would keep us to that day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.